0: I'm George Bodarkey. Cityscape won't be heard this week, so we can bring you a special presentation as part of our Strike Accord campaign on efforts to combat social isolation. WFUV teams up with BronxNet Television to produce conversations around the issues we address in our Strike Accord campaigns. The following is our latest discussion featuring Jillian Richardson, the author of the book Unlonely Planet. Cityscape will return next week at this time. Our guest will be a music therapist from Brooklyn who just won a Grammy for Best Children's Album. Even in a city as densely populated as New York, people can be, or at least feel, very alone. And the fact of the matter is, loneliness can have serious consequences on a person's physical and mental health. Hi. I'm George Boracki. I'm the news director of NPR affiliate station WFUV, located on the Rose Hill campus of Fordham University here in the Bronx. Each quarter, WFUV works to raise awareness of a particular issue through our Strike Accord campaign. Past campaigns have focused on everything from emergency preparedness, to healthy aging, to children in foster care. We're very pleased to be teaming up with BronxNet for our latest campaign focused on combating social isolation. With us today is someone who's on a mission to make the world less lonely. Jillian Richardson is the founder of The Joy List. It's described as a resource for people to find events that they can go to by themselves and leave with a new friend. Jillian's also the author of the book, Unlonely Planet. Jillian, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start off with understanding how this all came to be. What inspired your mission Mm -hmm. to make the world less lonely?
1: Thank you for asking. It's, it's a story I think a lot of people can really resonate with where I graduate from college, I move to New York City, I'm all excited to be an adult and starting this new life. And I find that all of the ways that I have to make new friends are not really working for me. Meaning people say you should go to bars and I'm there and I'm shouting over loud music at people. I'm not really feeling connected. I'm doing things based off of activities, so I did a lot of improv, and I'm with a lot of improv people. But our relationships were more based on having fun, kind of making jokes, and we never really got deeper. And after a few months in the city, I kind of made this promise to myself, and I said, all right, I'm going to spend the next few months going to a bunch of things by myself, and I want to find my people. So I went to retreats by myself and music festivals by myself and events by myself. And some of it wasn't great. Some of it I went and I felt really awkward and uncomfortable and like I didn't click with people. But then I eventually also found experiences where I felt really connected and like I could drop my walls and be vulnerable. And then in November 2016, Donald Trump was elected as our president. And in my social circle, I heard a lot of people say things like, I feel like I can't trust people anymore, and I feel kind of hopeless. I feel like people are bad. And meanwhile, I had finally found this community in New York City that lifted me up and helped me feel like a better version of myself and supported and loved. And I just wanted to tell people, hey, any day of the week in New York City, if you're feeling lonely and disconnected and, like, the state of the world is just on fire. There are at least two places every day of the week where you can go and be in community.
0: Now, a lot of people can't muster the courage Mm -hmm. to go anywhere by themselves. Totally. So how did you do that?
1: So I will say first of all that I have the gift of being an extroverted person. I'm someone who, when I get to a new space, I'm excited to meet new people. But at the same time, I have the experience a lot of people do, which is, if I'm just entering into a room filled with people, I don't know how to interact with them. I feel really nervous, I feel really self-conscious. And so the thing that I found that's the basis of my newsletter is I only promote events that have facilitated connection. Because for me, when there's someone there who's giving me permission to be vulnerable and kind of giving me prompts on what questions to ask people, different activities we can do together, that's when we can kind of skip the small talk and actually get to know each other. And that's what was helpful for me. So I figured that's what would be helpful for other people as well.
0: So talk to me about the events that go on the joy list. What Mm -hmm. kinds of events are on there?
1: Yeah. So what I had found is that in most event newsletters, they feature things where you can go and kind of receive information. So for example, an art gallery, you go and you look at art With other people, but there's not really any way for you to talk to someone unless you're really brave and you just go up to a stranger. Or a yoga class, you go and you do yoga, and then it's very easy to just kind of leave afterwards and not talk to anyone in the class. So I only promote events where there is some element of facilitated connection. Uh, An example of that is there's a lot of dance clubs in New York City where. You can go and you can dance by yourself and you can get drunk and it can feel not like a super connected experience. Mm -hmm. And at least for me, that's the case. And so there's something called ecstatic dance in New York City, where it's a sober space. There's a dance class to get your body warmed up, especially if you're like me and you're not super comfortable with dancing. And then there's a few hours of just no phones, no substances, just people dancing their faces off. Like I would say... The first time I walked in, I thought there's no way these people aren't on something. Uh Like they are too comfortable, they're too wild and free, Uh, and it was just my first exposure to seeing what happens when people really feel safe in a space and the people who create the space really care about
0: the people who are in it. How do you find out about these events? Yeah,
1: so at first it was mostly things that I'd gone to myself because when I moved to the city, I was diving into everything and pretty much every day of the week going to something new. But of course, it's been almost four years since I've started this newsletter and I send it out every week. So at this point, one, a lot of people send me events and I'm still very selective, but I can pick and choose from those. And also I've gotten really good at just looking at an event description and saying, okay, does this organizer truly care about their attendees? Are they giving them some sort of assistance? Is this something that's really just self-promotion? Is it something that's just a corporate networking event? Because if that's the case, I'm not super interested in it. And typically the people who host the best events are the people who are the worst at promoting themselves because they're not really comfortable with it. They feel like it's sleazy or they don't have that comfort with marketing. And so I love getting to help those people who really put their heart and souls into it and getting that out to thousands of people.
0: Essentially, though, it's really up to the organizer of an event to make sure that event welcomes inclusivity, you know, is warm Mm -hmm. when you walk in the door.
1: Completely. You need to make sure that you're designing your space intentionally because it's not enough to just throw a bunch of people together in a room, especially if you're a person who, like most of us, has not really mastered the social skills to check in with how you're feeling, be a really good listener, ask people thoughtful questions, be present, because we're all walking around with these massive balls of anxiety, wondering what the best way is to interact with someone.
0: Now that's something we should even consider if we're the hosting a party at our home, right? Completely,
1: completely. I I literally had, I think, six friends over to my house last night and most of them didn't know each other. I just said, like, hey, I think you all would like each other. Let's hang out. And it was really simple. But anytime someone new came in, I made sure to get up and greet them, offer them tea, offer them a snack, and then I introduced them to everyone and say, like, hey, this is my friend Divine. He started community centers in New York City when he was 17 years old, and he designs immersive experiences. I think you're going to love him. So he feels welcome. Everyone knows who's entering this space, and they just feel like they're cared for. It's pretty basic hosting, but we're not really taught that as a skill. So we think we should know it, just like with making friends. We think we should know what to do, Mm -hmm. but it's a learned skill just like anything else.
0: Now, you moved to New York City from Connecticut. Yes, to be or from Boston. From Boston, yes. okay. You were at school in Boston? You grew yes. up in Connecticut, is I that I grew right? up
1: in Connecticut, went to school in Boston, moved to New York. Came to New to
0: York, New York yes. to be a comedy writer. Yes. And as you mentioned, you found that even successful comedy writers weren't necessarily happy people, right?
1: Completely. I had a moment where I met someone who'd won a bunch of awards, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, you reach this level of career success, and then automatically you're a happy person. And I met this person who in my mind was my dream future and they didn't seem connected. And they actually told me that point blank. They didn't feel like they had a lot of creative freedom. They didn't feel super fulfilled in their job. And it made me wonder if I've been pursuing this thing and it's not actually all it's cracked up to be, what do I do?
0: Now, loneliness is really an epidemic Mm -hmm. in our country. What does the research tell us about just how lonely Americans are. It's
1: really bad. When I, when I give talks, I always say, like, brace yourselves. I'm gonna give you a bunch of bummer statistics because it's not numbers that make it look pretty. Uh, so, for example, the average American has one close friend, which has gone down from three. Wow. And also, 75% of Americans are not satisfied with their friendships. Hmm.
0: So, it's pretty dismal. It's really bad. <laughs> yeah.
1: We have one friend, and 75% of us are not satisfied with the one friend yeah. that we do have.
0: Yeah.
1: And then. So that's kind of the social element, but the health element is that loneliness impacts early mortality just as much as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Hmm. So that's seven years off of your life if you're a lonely person, and that's just as much as being an alcoholic or being obese. So when you think about your health teacher growing up and how much they were talking to you, probably if your school was like mine, about the importance of eating healthy and how much you need to exercise, those things are really taught in our culture. But when it comes to connecting with people and fostering intimacy, we're not taught that as much, and it's just as important, if not more important, for our health.
0: We need a this-is-how-you-make-long-lasting-friends class, right?
1: Completely. And how you can feel like you belong to yourself, belong to other people, because this is a thing I want to start talking about more. It's a more nuanced part of this conversation, but no matter how many people you're around, and no matter how incredible the people are, if you don't feel like you belong to yourself, you're never going to feel like you belong anywhere.
0: So what are the keys then to finding the right tribe, if you will, Mm -hmm. the people who really make you feel like you can be you and express yourselves and feel that sense of connectivity?
1: So I think the foundational element of it is knowing yourself, and that sounds really big and scary and kind of vague, but A thing that I would recommend for people is to just start checking in with yourself. It's a thing that most people don't do to start your day with journaling, see what's in your mind the second you wake up in the morning, uh, start meditating. And that could be anything. I think a lot of people see meditation as just sitting on a cushion and trying not to think for 10 or 20 minutes. But that could be dancing. It could be a movement practice, just anything to get you out of your head long enough to separate yourself from your problems for a moment. And if people have the luxury of affording it, I really recommend a therapist. My therapist has completely changed my life. She's helped me see myself and all my flaws and all my messiness so much more clearly. And knowing that helps me see when I'm interacting with someone and something comes up like, oh, okay here's this part of me that wants to be seen as a really good person that everyone likes and they're doing something that makes me upset and I'm afraid to say anything because I really want them to like me no matter what. If I didn't have that self-awareness, I'd never be able to check in and see that was going on. So that's, that's one element of just self-awareness. And then another is taking the time to learn social skills. It's a thing that I hear from people time and time again There's a lot of shame around not knowing how to connect with people or thinking like I got an email from someone literally yesterday. They've been living in New York City for six years and they feel embarrassed that they don't have a close group of friends. Mm -hmm. And in reality, most people feel that way. Yeah,
0: Why do you think it is that loneliness is something that's stigmatized Mm -hmm. in society?
1: I think it's just one of those shoulds that I'm talking about of like, oh, you should know how to date. You should know how to have a good sex life. You should know how to connect with your friends. And because we just think this is a thing that everyone somehow magically knows how to do. We never talk about the problems that we have. And I think if anything, friendship is even more sensitive than romantic or sexual relationships. Because I hear this from people a lot of oh, okay, if I ask this person on a date and they reject me, it's maybe our physical chemistry or I'm not their type or they're taken. But if I ask someone to get coffee as friends and they say no, there's this connection of, oh, that means I'm just a bad person. People don't like me. I'm not likable at all to Mm -hmm. anyone. And of course that's not true, but there's just so much more sensitivity around that.
0: I think sometimes when people see someone spending a lot of time at home, it could be your mom, your dad, a brother, a sister, mm-hmm. they'll tell you, just get out there. Just get out and have some fun. Mm-hmm. Meet some friends. Mm-hmm. Like, it's that easy. What do you say to people who sort of give that simple advice? Just go out and have fun. Come on. Stop Ugh. staying home.
1: It's, it's very bad advice. It's really bad advice. It's like when someone is confessing that they're sad and there's a lot of tenderness around that and vulnerability and you say, oh, just cheer up, like think about the things that you're grateful for. That's saying the way that you feel isn't valid and what you're saying isn't actually that big of a deal. When in reality, putting ourselves out there and going to new places is a really vulnerable and scary thing to do. I'm an extroverted person and it's still really scary and vulnerable for me to do. So for someone who's doing that, I would say, Just to think of it as like going to the gym. It's a muscle. The first time you go to the gym, you're not going to go to the most intense CrossFit class you can find because you're not going to be able to do literally anything. Mm -hmm. So just to go slowly. Say, okay, um, what if I go with a group of my work colleagues to something? Something that's already going on that I've just been too nervous to go to instead of jumping to, I need to show up to this event by myself or I have to ask someone to go out with me. And just start finding groups that are in your comfort zone and then move from there.
0: Getting back to the research, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people think that it's senior citizens, it's the older population that's the most lonely population in America. Mm -hmm. Not the case though, right? No.
1: So 22% of millennials believe that they have zero friends. It's almost a quarter of millennials So for anyone who is watching or listening, if you feel alone, know that actually your experience is in the majority. And it's a thing that I wish everyone could have the experience that I do because people kind of know me as like the loneliness woman or the friendship person. So people will literally come up to me at parties and like confess their feelings of disconnection that they don't tell anyone else. And if everyone had the experience of being in my shoes, they would know that most people feel like they're an imposter and they don't belong and they're disconnected and they feel shame around not having enough friends. And so if you keep that in mind, it actually kind of reduces the pressure of asking someone to hang out because in reality, they're probably desperate for someone to ask them to hang
0: out. A lot of people today are less likely to be involved with organized religion. Mm -hmm. Is that contributing to our loneliness problem?
1: I genuinely think it is because when you think about it, organized religion was such a part of the American cultural fabric for such a long time. And no matter what your relationship with religion is, organized religion done well and done from a heartful place really gives us a lot of beautiful things where it's a place you can go every week. You can be vulnerable. You can drop your walls. I could show up at a church this week and if sometime this week I get sick and I'm in the hospital, people from that church could show up and help me. There's this entire network of people who are there to support each other. And it's been built, especially in New York city for decades and decades. And unfortunately a lot of young people don't feel comfortable being part of a church. And so that's a big part of my book is saying, if organized religion is not for you, and it's not against organized religion, but if it's not for you, you're gonna have to kind of patchwork quilt together all these things that you might get from a church or a synagogue. And so here's how you're gonna do it. And it's gonna take effort and action because people think that friendships and deep community should just happen. When in reality, it's a lot of effort and attention.
0: A lot of people attach the word congregation Mm -hmm. to organized religion, but you believe that you don't need to be part of a religious institution to be part of a congregation, Completely.
1: Yeah, I say that a congregation is really just a group of people that are there to support each other, because when you think of a church congregation, ideally those people are there to help each other, and your friends can also be that. You can have a really deeply meaningful connection with your friends. For example, I'm part of this thing called a formation group, which is a group of people we meet every Wednesday night for a year. And we're sharing what's going on in our lives. We're reading different spiritual texts, whether that is a Broadway song that means a lot to one of us, or a poem, or a passage from the Bible. And we're sharing vulnerably and we're deepening our relationships with this group of 12 people every week. And that sounds like a lot, and for some people that might be too much, but for me it's exactly what I wanted.
0: What's your advice for forming deeper relationships with people, because often we'll go to an event Mm -hmm. and many times the first question that I am asked, and sometimes the first question that I ask someone else is, so what do you do?
1: Completely. It's so
0: superficial. What Mm -hmm. do you do? We're not really Mm. getting to the heart of someone with that, right?
1: Yeah. So I I run a monthly event called The Joylist Social. And this is a thing that we talk about every month is giving people better questions to ask. Because that question kind of says, this is of course unconsciously, but let me frame up how I compare to you in terms of social standing. Mm. Like where are you going to be in my mental model of like who's above and who's below? And so when people come in, we give them different questions to answer and they put it on their name tag the answer to the question they chose. So if I look at your name tag, I'm going to have to guess what what question you chose. And immediately we're going to have a conversation of like, "Oh, is that advice that you would give to your younger self? Mm-hmm. Is that a goal that you've set for yourself this year?" And so giving yourself permission to have a few questions in your back pocket when you go into a social situation. And that could be as easy as hey, what's something that made you smile today? Or what's something that made you smile this week? Or what's something that you're looking forward to? Just a question that if someone asked you that question, would you enjoy it? That's a sign that it's probably something other people would like to be asked, especially more than what do you do?
0: I know you went to a place called Camp Grounded. Yes. Talk to us about that experience because this speak, that speaks to this as well.
1: So Camp Grounded is a digital detox summer camp for adults meaning it's a weekend, four days, five days where you go and there's no substances, there's no alcohol, all the clocks are covered so you have no idea what time it is. You use a different name instead of your real name. So, for example, my name at camp was Lady instead of Jillian, and there's no talk about work, there's no talk about age. So when you think about rules creating a container... The types of people who showed up to this experience are all people who said, you know what? For a few days, I agreed to all of these things. Everyone who's there immediately feels a kind of sense of connection for that reason. And when you go in, everyone is just in this childlike playful state because that's the purpose of the campus to say, as adults, we've gotten so far from this little kid version of us that just wants to play games and we want to be silly and free and we want to connect and we want to play with our friends. We don't want to talk about what our job is. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful still that I randomly got an email from I think Time Out New York about Camp Grounded and I signed up. And it was one of my first experiences being around other adults outside of college. And it just made me realize like, oh, this, This mental model I have of what being an adult is, isn't necessarily the only way to be. I can be really silly and free and embodied and I can create really playful things and that could maybe even be my job. I'd never met an adult like that in my entire life. So it's just a really great example of what can happen when you put yourself out of your comfort zone, get around other people who share your values and see that, maybe the way that you thought being an adult could look like, you can actually completely shatter that and do something totally different. You just need to meet the people who've done that before to know it's possible.
0: So you were disconnected from social media. Yes. Let's talk about social media for a moment because a lot of us spend a lot of time on social media and we're viewing other people's lives and their lives look so fantastic. They're hanging out with friends. They're having the time of their lives. Mm Do you think that for some people, that's making the feeling of loneliness worse because you're not part of those worlds and mm-hmm. we don't even know if those worlds are as true as they seem.
1: Completely. It's a thing that I've been really trying to track for myself and I noticed that the best moments of my life are never the moments that are on social media. Like for example, last night I had those six friends over and we made this giant fruit plate and we were just sitting and we were cuddling and we were talking We didn't take a picture of it. We didn't take a video of it. It's not in my Instagram stories. We were just hanging out. And that's always the case. And so, a thing that is helpful to me when I start comparing myself to other people or being like, wow, look at this incredible party they're at, just pausing and thinking, they were taking photos and videos of this moment. Maybe they weren't actually enjoying it as much as I think they are. Maybe they're not actually as present as I want to imagine they are. And there's a time and a place for taking photos and videos of things. But I think for me, when I notice that someone's really documenting every aspect of their life, there's an aspect of a loss of presence there that in reality is a little sad.
0: Yeah, and I guess we should really just stop comparing ourselves to other people and live our own lives.
1: Completely. I had someone tell me, um, don't compare, connect on social media. Because for me... I have the opportunity to connect with community builders from all over the world, especially on Twitter. Twitter's my favorite. Uh, but if I'm starting and seeing, oh, OK, this person just sold a group coaching program and this person just started a retreat and this person just got a publisher for their book. Then I'm making myself miserable instead of saying, oh, wow, I get to meet all of these people who I never would have met otherwise. I think that's the healthy, beautiful part of it.
0: Sticking on the topic of social media for a Mm -hmm. second, I understand that you take issue with the interested button on Facebook events. What don't Mm. you like about interested?
1: So that, I have mixed feelings about it. I think it's just that it's kind of the non-committal action that you can take. And as an event organizer, of course, I can feel annoyed by that, of saying, okay, five people say they're going to my event and 250 people say they're interested. What does that say? It's saying oh, okay, maybe there's going to be something better that night. Maybe there's another opportunity for me that's going to be cooler or more exclusive or whatever. And on the one hand, I respect people for saying, I'm going to see how I feel in the moment, and if I'm tired, I'm not going to go, and if I'm feeling it, I'll go. But at the same time, I think it also really illustrates this mentality of constantly looking for the better thing. And I can also be guilty of that. I'll totally call myself out.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. How about connecting with strangers? Should we make a point to talk a little bit more to our barista, to the Uber driver, to the person next to us on the subway?
1: Mm. I say yes. And I know that for a lot of people, talking to strangers is really anxiety producing. I know especially for men, talking to women in public can be a really sensitive thing. So a place that I think people can start is going to spaces where they know they're not going to know other people and spaces that are intended for vulnerable conversations. So a great example is any 12-step group. If you've ever been to a 12-step meeting of any kind, you know that it's all of these people who would never connect otherwise from all walks of life, all races, all classes, all ability levels in a room because they share a problem. And for me, when I go into those spaces, I love it because it reminds me Anyone who I'm walking by in the streets of New York City is someone who has this whole world of problems and issues and struggles that I don't know about, so I don't think of them in that way. oh right, this is a person with problems. And that's a big reason why I'm an advocate of being in these spaces, and that could be women's circles, men's circles, 12-step groups, whatever, but places where you can really connect with other people. Because especially New York City, me included, it's very easy to be walking down the street and feel like, ugh, this person is literally just an obstacle yeah. from me getting from point A to point B and not realizing like, we're all in this together. We're all people with our stuff going on. And it just softens me and gives me some more compassion in a city that it can very often kind of completely
0: chip that compassion away. So we're running out of time. Yes. So in 10 or 15 seconds, mm-hmm. leave us with the one thing someone can do today Mm -hmm. to take a step to combat their own loneliness. The most important thing.
1: I think the most important, easiest thing, volunteer at an event that you're interested in because it saves you money. You don't have to pay for a ticket. You have a position of authority. So if you have anxiety, that anxiety can go away. And it's a really great way to meet other people and organizers especially who share the same interest as
0: you. All right, we're going to leave it at that. That's all the time we have for this special collaboration between public radio station WFUV and BronxNet focusing on combating social isolation. Big thanks to Jillian Richardson. Once again, Jillian's the founder of The Joylist and the author of Unlonely Planet. She's online at thatjillian.com. Don't mistake her for the other Jillian. It's thatjillian.com. <laughs> Strike Accord is on the web at WFUV fuvorg slash I'm George Baldrarchi. Thanks so much for being with us.